Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Kevin, what are you thankful for this month of November? Well, Rob, I'm thankful that we have so many great behind-the-curtain listeners and that so many of them financially support us so we can continue to capture the stories of Broadway's most legendary performers. And support my Hervé Villachez habit. Oh, God. I'm not going to do it. I won't do it. Want to help us? Uh, I'm just kidding. Want to help us be even more thankful this November? Head over, head on over. I've had too much cranberry sauce. <laughs> head on over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And search for Behind the curtain broadway's living legends and set a monthly donation even a dollar a month helps us we are entirely self-funded so please help keep us on the air i feel like pbs it's like PB- I was your just contributions say- help us continue doing what we are doing here is a tote bag uh what are we doing this november rob why being thankful that we can interview legends eating stuffing and singing turkey lurkey time yes i know it's a christmas song but it's about turkey go lay down rob we are thankful for all of you and we'll be even more thankful if you can head over to patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com hi i'm rob schneider and i'm kevin david thomas and this is behind the curtain broadway's living legends don't forget to follow us on twitter at broadway curtain and make sure to join our facebook page at behind the curtain broadway's living legends and follow us on instagram at broadway curtain podcast plus you can always listen to our all of our episodes old and new on itunes spotify stitcher broadway world the stage network and broadway podcast network one of the joys of doing this podcast is that we get to shine a spotlight on those artists whose work behind the scenes is the bedrock of our community, like today's guest, who has contributed so much to our field in his 70-plus year career that he's now the subject of his very own documentary. Amazing. This documentary, which should be required viewing for anyone who loves the theater, is called Leonard Soloway's Broadway, and it is now available for viewing on Amazon, iTunes, and on demand. Jeff Wolk's documentary celebrates the life and legacy of one of Broadway's most beloved producers and general managers whose resume boasts all right get ready guys the original how to succeed in business without really trying skyscraper a funny thing happened on the way to the forum a walk in the woods Jerome robbins broadway lost in yonkers jake's women the beauty queen of Lenan, waiting in the wings and many 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 That's more like one fifth I know. <laughs> one fifth you can't even like scroll down resume. you go to the IBDB, you just keep scrolling just... To, tell, to tell us what it was like to work with such legends as how prince jose quintero jerome robbins neil simon lauren bacall phil silvers mike nichols leonard silman dame edna and okay. so many more. Here is the star of Leonard Soloway's Broadway, Leonard Soloway himself. How are you, Leonard? I was fine till I got here. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, Leonard has kept us in stitches since he I arrived. I have literally not stopped laughing. He got here early. We were setting up the equipment, and I'm, I have tears in my eyes from laughing so hard. So when they came to you with the idea of, let's do a documentary about your life, what were your initial reactions? Oh, it wasn't people. It was uh, this guy that I had known whose family in Cleveland were close to my family mm-hmm. in Cleveland, uh, I thought it was never going to happen. And uh, he was looking for a place where he could have an office and work. And a friend of mine uh, owns a building uh, on the west side where people can rent a room and edit, right. edit and they can stay overnight if they want to. <laughs> so I sent him to this English guy who's a friend of mine. So he walks up to the English guy, and he liked the place, and he said, oh, I'm doing a documentary on Leonard Soloway. And my friend took a long pause and said, Clark Gable, he's not. (laughs) (laughs) 
What is your friend now, please? <laughs> how long did it take for this documentary to, to come together? Uh, well, how, he how... was working on the fucking thing for four years. Yeah. yeah. I never thought it was going to happen. Really? I didn't care. <laughs> I made him take out a lot of stuff. I was impressed how much you left in. I mean, there you really get a... So basically, the documentary not only follows Leonard's life, but it also follows a, a production of a show that you were producing, uh, Tappan... Uh, through life, through Mar- life, Maurice yeah, with Maurice yeah. Hines, uh, and it was sort of this parallel journey of you producing that show, but also your the history of your life at the same time. Uh, and I was impressed that you know you really get a bird's eye view of what it was, what's like to produce a show. But I had worse shows than that. Yeah. <laughs> Such as, can you tell us some worse? Well, stories? I, I had a lot of off-Broadway shows. Yeah. <clears throat> And uh, uh, some of them were very successful, actually. Mm, yeah. the, uh, the, the Oscar Wilde one was enormously successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only place it didn't work was in London. Uh-huh. They had no interest in them. Oh, that's bizarre. They, they, up to their necks. We ran one week in London. Oh, my goodness. But a huge hit here in New oh, yeah, York. Yeah, yeah, it was very massive. Well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what attracts you to a project as a producer? I have no idea. <laughs> Some kind of a bell rings. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember when uh, my, my partner at the time and I went to... Um, New Haven. Yeah. 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 And uh, we went to dinner and then we went to, you know, that off-Broadway theater in New Haven. Mm-hmm. And it was... Uh, uh, we, I had like three martinis and a brandy. He said, "What are you, what are you, what are you doing?" I said, "Listen, everything we've seen up here is shit. Why would this one be any better?" So the first act was over, and I said, "We have to buy this show." And it was, um, it, it's, a, it was um, the show about people dying. Uh, oh, shadow box. Yeah, the shadow box. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the reason we got it was because everybody else on, Bro- on Broadway had turned it down. Right. So they all shit when we won the Tony Award. <laughs> <laughs> it, won, it won Best Play. It did. Did and, it win Pulitzer Prize? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there was just something in your gut that said, this is the next, we, we feel like we should invest in this. Well, I, I realized that everybody else had turned it down yeah. because the subject matter... Mm. In those days, nobody really was interested in people who were dying. Yeah. Uh, now it's everywhere. Right. Yeah. Were you always a fan of of theater when you were growing up? I mean, were, did... no, actually, I wasn't. I, w- <clears throat> I was already signed at uh, Northwestern to do uh, writing. Okay. I was the editor of the high school paper, uh-huh. which won the National Scholastic Award for right. that year. And then when I came back the following year, they said, no, no, you were, you were the editor last year, and we have a rule you can only be only in one year. Mm. So I, I went home and I said to my mother, I'm, I'm not going to finish school. But, you know, my mother, she said, oh, yes, you are. Right. <laughs> and then she said, why, don't you, why, I don't know. She said, why don't you go down to the Cleveland Playhouse and see if they can, you can do anything there. And the war was still up. The Civil War was still up. Civil War. <laughs> this so is I went down to World War II, yeah. And I was as tall as I am now right. when I was 17 years old. And uh, they handed me a brush and a bucket of paint, and they said, paint this. And, I, and suddenly I heard bells ring. And I, yeah, yeah. It was, and then they, you know, they, did, they made me crazy. Yeah. One night they said, we can't, we can't start the show. We don't we can't find the key to the apron. I'm running around. Oh my God. <laughs> right. And then once they sent me up in the grid, and I'm terrified of heights, and it took an hour to come back down. And Cleveland Playhouse was, I mean, at one time, I, it was, I think it's like the oldest regional theater in America. I mean, it was a very, it's a very prestigious theater. Yeah. I mean, like, that was a great was. place to sort of cut your teeth at the time. It had that great comp, that architectural mm-hmm. complex. They don't, they're not there anymore, but no. that facility was wild. The hospital I, took it over. Yeah, that's right. But it was it was fabulous. A lot of wonderful actors and directors came out of that theater. Right. Did you have any desire to get on stage? 
Yeah, I wanted to be an actress. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you were for a little bit. I mean, didn't you? Well, you know, I would be a cop, and they'd put a, a mustache on it. And then right. I got after the first night, I got a, a lecture from the director. I said, "Listen, you can't stand there going, 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 <laughs> going, <laughs> playing with your play, fixing your face for the mustache." And so, what got you out of Cleveland? I don't, I don't know. I. Th- I, I decided I didn't want to go to Northwestern. Right. Much to your mother's chagrin. And I, yeah, and I said I'd like to go to... Uh, the, the Carnegie. Th- no. Carnegie. Yeah, that's mm. right. And much to my surprise, I went and did a, 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 you know, a, a, a thing, and they accepted me. Right. And so you finished out your schooling at, uh, it wasn't called Carnegie Mellon then, I think it was you called know, Carnegie, 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 Tech. Yeah, Tech. Carnegie Tech. Yeah, Carnegie Tech. And it's true that they, uh, they asked me to leave because I, they hated me. What? Why? Because as I said in the film, I, I said to them, you're, you're, you're screwing everybody oh. up. You're taking away from them what makes them different right. and which will help them get a job on Broadway. Uh, you're making them all sound alike. You're changing the best thing that they can do to get yeah. started. It's so interesting that it still happens in the school system, though, today. Like, I think that's yeah. a complaint that a lot of people have with a, with a four-year college program that trains actors to this day. They say they're, they use the word cookie cutter, like they're just creating. Mm-hmm. That's right. And they lose some of the individual qualities that make people special. I, I, you know, when you think of when you were first watching theater, the Ethel Mermans and Mary Martins and Gertrude Lawrences were all such special individuals. They were, And in most cases, they either couldn't act or they couldn't sing, but they yeah. were stars. They, they had this presence yeah. on stage that was, you know, just out of this world. Do you remember the first Broadway show that you ever saw? Yes. Uh, it was a review just after the war had ended. Mm-hmm. Betty Garrett was in it. Oh, wow. Uh, it was a. It was a lot. I don't remember the name of That's the okay. review. That's okay. Yeah, huh. but it was. It was terrific. Yeah. So you you come up to New York, and do you know anybody? Do you have friends in New York? Or no. You... What What was it like? When, and what What was your goal when you came to New York? Did you set out to? I be... wanted to be an actress. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was. Uh, I I was in a play called Clarembar or something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, I was chosen to be in it. It was a Broadway show. Mm-hmm. Because in the middle of this French play, which was translated, the leading man is shot, and he falls to the ground. And he's dead, except that he comes back later in the play. Okay. So I was as tall as he was. <laughs> so I was in this log. And when the guy was shot down, I'd roll out and he'd roll in. And I'd stand up and walk away with my back to the audience. Mm. And then, of course, when he stood up, came back to life, the audience would go, oh, you know. Right, yeah. Magic. (laughs) It was. How long did you pursue an acting career? Until uh, I was doing a show and they said, we need an assistant stage manager. Do you want to do that? Mm. And I said, well, what, is it, what does it mean? They said, oh, it's, I think it's $5 a week. <clears throat> I said, yeah, I'll take it. So I loved, I, I, I thought, well, they, the stage managers don't take as much shit as the actors do. Yep. So I started doing that. I was doing shows off-Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I, this guy came. This union guy comes to me and says, you can't be working here. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, you have to be part of the Association of Theatrical Press Agents and Managers. Yeah. I said, well, how do I do that? And, he, and they said, well, you have to apprentice. apprentice. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they sent this guy down named Richard Horner, uh, who was very good looking and very nice. He didn't bother me at all. I still did what I was doing. But what happened is that Lester Osterman Mm. hired Richard to be his general manager, and Richard took me with him. Oh. And what happened was that I I was an assistant uh, manager at at one of his theaters, and I hated it. It I was getting 75 bucks a week, and I I had as many as four 
off-Broadway shows running at the same time, I wouldn't be making a lot of money. And what, what were your jobs? Like, what would you have to do, like, in a day? I mean, were you checking in on the shows? Was it budget stuff? Was It It was to know how much... I, I couldn't wait to... I wanted to know when the show was closing because most of the shows that were closing uh, didn't... You know, they didn't run. Right. And I had a... They had to give me six months, six weeks rent. Oh wow! Which was non-refundable. Mm. So I, I would, I would sign shows, counting on them. The ones that are in there were be bad. Wow! So uh, there was a, a, a musical, the Geranium Hat, uh, which cost twenty-eight thousand dollars to do. It was the biggest musical off-Broadway that it ever had. Yeah. I mean, $28,000 was a lot of money yeah. in those yeah. days. Especially off-Broadway. So uh, that that didn't <laughs> run. But I, I took the chance that I, I would take the next guy waiting to come in. Right. And I wouldn't give any, any part of the advance back. Mm-hmm. So I, I was doing very well. Right, right. And, right. and we were at upstairs on, on Houston Street on 2nd Avenue. There was a theater above the theater. Mm-hmm. And that's where we did a lot. That's where we did, uh, oh God, playing the lead in uh, Fiddler. Zero Mostel. He, on Saturdays, we would do two shows. So he would eat so much between shows that we had a pail off stage. No. And he would run off and vomit in it. <laughs> He's a oh classy man. Goodness. Classy man. I mean, we've heard stories of him, but he's he was... Listen, the fact that that he let Jerry agree to do Fiddler mm-hmm. with Jerry, whom he hated, mm-hmm. who, 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 who named names and all right, the other right. stuff. What a, and that must you know that that what, the committee the the, the, the house, house sentiment, of Amer- yeah. American that, I mean to live through that as well to see people that were in the arts that would get blacklisted and, and what was that like I mean did you know people that were cut out Well, all I knew actually I'm you know I'm doing this play called Fellow Travelers uh-huh. and what I learned from it was that although Broadway had no problem with communists or whatever they were doing. Right. Uh, and but people like Elliot Kazan, Kazan, yeah. Also named names. He, yeah. he was well. He was a major. Uh, he he was an up and coming movie director. Mm-hmm. He right. really didn't want to do Broadway shows. Right. Yeah. And he couldn't. It would. And as as Arthur Miller said to him, it would be a crime if you could not direct plays. And uh, and and movies. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody had blacklisted him. In Hollywood, so he did name names, but you know, the truth is that they had the fucking names. Yeah, Yeah. they just wanted people to say it. Say it, yeah. Weird, weird time. But what killed him was that his wife talked him into taking a full-page ad, where he explained and apologized Mm. why he named names, and that killed him. That killed his career for a while. Mm -hmm. And then when he got a special Tony. Uh If you remember, yeah. half of the audience didn't stand yeah. up. Oh, applause. my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Interesting, interesting time. So how has the off-Broadway scene evolved from when you first started doing it to the off-Broadway world now in 2019? What are some of the big changes that you've seen happen? Well, the off-Broadway continued until about 10 years ago. I mean, there mm-hmm. were... They were they, I mean, it now you could do an off-Broadway show for thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. But uh, listen, we've been working on fellow travelers for five years now. The original budget was a million. Now it's five million. Jesus! In five years. Wow. So how do you get people to invest in your projects? What's you have to fuck them and kiss them and take them to dinners and promise them everything in the world, especially billing. They yeah. want to be able to go up and if you win a Tony, yeah, hundred tell all their friends and yeah. yes, of course. Do you get tired of that or does that energize you going it's, in? Oh, you know, it's terrible. It's like raising money. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I hate raising money mm-hmm. and I you know, give them everything. You know, some people would say, Oh I'll give you twenty five thousand dollars but I 
there one I want to be ten people the opening night. Well, if you needed twenty five thousand dollars, you'd let you, it. You say whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things the documentary does really well is it actually captures you um, at a pitch. Well, I don't want to say a pitch meeting, but at Sardi's talking to some people trying to get some money in for the Maurice Hines show. It's it's an art form asking for money, right? Yeah, but the thing is, uh, when when I decided to move uh, the Oscar Wilde thing, mm -hmm. uh, I I had met a woman named. Chase Bishop. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, And she had approached Manny Hasenberg, uh, and I was in L.A., so Manny called her and said to call Leonard Soloway. So mm. she came, and we talked, and I, mm. I, uh, she wanted to do a show off-Broadway in L.A., and she wanted a general manager, and she had the theater and everything. She didn't have the cast. She she had she really did not know very much about anything, but she learned very quickly. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I walked her out, and uh, this Rolls Royce came out of the garage. I said, "That's probably yours," and she said, "Well, as a matter of fact, it is." Oh, oh. wow, good. <laughs> so a... when I, when I decided to move, uh, you know the. I called her and I said, would you like to invest in a Broadway, uh, off-Broadway show? And she said, what is it? And I told her, she said, yes, I'll invest. I said, how much would you do? She said, 100000 Wow. So I knew I was halfway there already. Yeah. And then the Times came out. The, the first page of the theater section was the whole review on that show. Yeah. And, fat and glowing oh, it was reviews, like, uh, amazing. Love letters, yeah, right. You couldn't you couldn't ask for better reviews. Oh, it was, well, for an off-Broadway show, yeah. to get a picture across the the front page of the theater section. You know that show did not do well in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which they, is odd. They didn't want to hear any more about Oscar Wilde. Yeah. They had their fill at that point. <laughs> but for Americans, it was it was exposing something that we knew very little about. So it was it was a great education. Jerry Schoenfeld was sitting in a in one of the th one of the shows, and he turned around and went, "Thumbs up." That's great. You know, I should have moved it to Broadway. It went, I was gonna it, ask. It went around the Tony. Yeah, yeah. Why why didn't you move it to Broadway? Didn't want to, didn't feel like it would succeed. It was too late for that year to be eligible, and I, I, I would have had to wait a year. Mm. And I just said, fuck not it. Not worth it, yeah. Yeah, no, totally We not did win it. the Off-Broadway Award. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, one, yeah tons of Off-Broadway stuff. Now, you know, I want to go back a little bit, because I'm so curious. You were a house manager? Yeah. So so for our, for our listeners, what does a house manager do? He and runs the theater. So your job is to, to... You're with the ushers and the box office mm -hmm. and... The front the, of, the make front the of patrons house. happy. Yeah. You know, like when they said that Kennedy was coming to see how to succeed in business. Well, we, ha we sold out. Yeah. You know, I, I had to figure out how to get people to, to put him where he wanted to be and have two service people in front of him and on each side and in back of him. I had to move people... And folding chairs on the side. Oh my goodness! To Jesus. get him. Did you get to meet President Kennedy? Oh sure. <laughs> oh and, sure. Uh, and, yeah. Well, one of his, uh, all of the guys. It was like the Queen in London. Yeah. All the guys were great looking. Uh -huh. Yeah. And uh, one of them came and sat with me in the manager's office. Oh. And we became very friendly. Did he like the show? I don't know. You know, they all say they like everything. Oh, that's true. And you were occupied at the time, right. so who, who knows what's was, going on. And it was a hit show. I mean, it was yeah, like, exactly. Weren't Jeez. you an usher out? Yeah, <laughs> no, that's right. It's my nickname. You know, Whoopi Goldberg's mother was an usher. Wait. At, at the time, at the Lundfond Town. So she could really? see Whoopi's show, or she could, or no, she... No, oh. she was working there. Really? Back in Whoopi the 60s. Whoopi was still a kid. That is oh, so cool. Because you did, you did How to Succeed, and you also did Skyscraper. Yes. Right? Sky what, what's her name? Julie, Julie Harris. Harris. Julie Harris. I thought she was so prim and everything. Yeah. 
every Saturday between the matinee and evening, this great looking guy would go into the dressing room with her and he'd come out like this. Exhausted. She'd come, she'd come out. <laughs> She's floating on air. Who <laughs> was her when Charles Nelson Riley was in it? Oh yeah. He was what? I love him. Oh I, I did too. Was, was he a cut up? Yeah, we, we were I was I was very close to him. He had one thing where this the uh the horoscope is not on the paper, and he said he has this scene where he says, "What's going to happen?" There didn't run the horoscope. Something terrible has to happen. You know how crazy he <laughs> yeah, can get. Yeah. <laughs> and he did this number. He was wonderful. Oh yeah, he's a hoot. Now, you, you were a company manager for New Faces of 1962. So, for for our listeners, what does a company manager do? Travel with the company, and mm-hmm. you do the payrolls and contracts. What was it like working with Leonard Silman? Oh, it's a fucking nightmare. Tell really? Us, yeah, we don't yeah. talk about him enough. Yeah, we need to be remembered. Uh, we had a conductor who had polio at one time. Oh. And he limped. And somebody said to me, the only way, we were in Toronto at the O'Keefe, and somebody said to me, the only way you might get an audience and reviews is if you let the conductor limp down the aisle. Cross, live, get into the pit and start the overture. Maybe they'll feel sorry enough oh my God. to give it a good review. That's funny. I'm going to try that for the next show I do. Yeah, exactly. Get, and, get a little sympathy. And I, uh, when we were in Toronto trying out, I stood between the door that went backstage because he would run t- and say, oh, I want to change this. And I'd say, you can't change no. a fucking thing at this point. The show is on. He said, it's just the f- flying stuff. I said, you can't go back there. And I would stand there like this in front of the... No way. The pastor, yeah. He hated me. Sounds like an interesting man, to say, yeah. to say the yeah. least. You know, new faces got worse and worse as he did them through the years. Right. And it got to the point where there weren't any good people. Oh, I, we were in previews there, and I came home one night and... St- Sitting on the floor in front of my, the door to my suite were all the chorus kids. <laughs> I said, what the fuck are you doing here? And they said, well, it would be easier for you to decide who you want to take at home and fuck. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Sassy. I love it. Honest. Now, the documentary covers this. So, you know, back in the, the 50s and 60s when so many people were trying to hide their sexuality, you never... Hit as a gay man, you're out and no, proud from day one. I did. I, I did. I the, the the one of the best experiences I ever had was, uh, it was uh, Mike Nichols was the director. His Social Security. Oh yes, yeah, great. He asked asked me to uh, give two passes to a friend of his, and I totally forgot mm-hmm. about it. So just as the, the show was about to start. I ran to the box office and this very good-looking treasurer, I said, I was supposed to leave a pair of comps for He said, I took care of it. I said, listen, let me do something. He was married and I kids. Uh, can I take you to dinner tomorrow night? He said, sure. So we go have dinner at a fancy place and he's walking to, to my hotel with me and he said, do you mind if I come up because I have to take a piss? So we go up to my suite, and he goes into the John, and he comes out naked. No way. He's married with kids. He left at four in the morning. <sighs> and the next day, it was like it never happened. You know those guys that do that? Wow. Oh, yeah. They pretend that it didn't yeah, happen. Yeah. I, was, I was so drunk, I didn't know it. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. All for a pair of comps. Hey, it was worth <laughs> it. <laughs> and then also, a couple of shows I, ha- I had on the road... The, some of the, uh, uh, well, one show uh, was a, a guy who had been in, in the ballet in San, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was so, Jerry, during an audition, Jerry turned to me and said, Tell that kid if he wears that to rehearsal every day, he's got the job. <laughs> I mean, it was skin tight. You could see everything. The show I loved was South Pacific that we did. It, 
in Toronto at the O'Keefe Center, which was the O'Keefe Center in those right. days. And I had, uh, who was the director that I wanted? Joe Layden. Yes. Yeah. And he didn't want to do it there because I brought him there. To, he said, it, uh, there's too much distance between the first row and oh, right. the that, stage. Oh, yes, that's right. right, yeah. So I said, well, what I want to do is bring this, the, uh, the orchestra section up to stage level and uh, put the band behind, uh, behind a scrum. He said, oh, you can't do that. Well, we did do that. And, it, and then he did it in no strings. Right. Oh, yeah. And then a lot of people do it now. That's right. Sometimes it's like not even in the theater. They're in like a, a room somewhere. But, but putting them on stage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a big yeah. thing. Yeah. And the, gar, the guy playing uh, Lieutenant whatever cable or whatever. Yeah. Uh, was, he had a gorgeous voice. He was beautiful to look at. He was terrible. And uh, <laughs> I said to, to Layton, I said, listen, do me a favor. Tell him not to wear underwear. He said, you're out of your fucking mind. I said, tell him not to wear underwear. And it did change his performance. Oh. Give the audience something to look at in yes, the book yeah. scenes, which is... Layers. Yeah, layers, layers <laughs> to the performance. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say... Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, podcast listeners, are you looking for a place to rehearse in New York City that is clean, spacious, and most importantly, affordable? Come check out Shetler Studios and Theaters, our wonderful host for these podcasts. Shetler is centrally located on West 54th Street between Broadway and 8th Avenue, right in the heart of the theater district. Right in the heart, you'll find music, dance, and acting studios, complemented by two black box theaters and six presentation venues. The professional facilities, inspired environment, and expert industry staff combine to provide the New York artist with an unparalleled studio experience. Visit their website at shetlerstudios.com. That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. Shetler Studios and Theaters is our home for recording the legends of Broadway, and we hope that you make it your artistic home too. That's Shetler, S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. See you here. Now, you got to, you got to work with Marlena Dietrich? What was what was what was she like? What was this experience like? Oh, she was divine. Yeah, mm. I I just read uh, her bio. Actually, I lived in Paris for uh, one summer, and she was on the third floor, and my partner and I were on the fourth floor, <coughs> and I didn't realize that she. That's when she began not wanting to see anybody. She didn't get out of bed. Right. Right. But. Uh, and people used to say, well, she must be padded. And I'd, I'd say, you know, you could hold that dress on one finger. But what, what is in the book, that her, his, that her mother had all this shit that she put on, mm -hmm. and then she put on the... And why she did that, it was... It, she married a friend of mine who was a set designer, mm -hmm. and he was gorgeous. They moved to London. I just, you know, in the first place, Nobody even came backstage. Just everybody saw that show, but right. nobody went backstage. And I don't know whether why or what, because she wasn't disliked. Right. And we just decided that uh, they probably felt that she wouldn't go out with them, or she was busy, or something. Mm -hmm. She was wonderful. She used to bring food for the band on Wednesday and Saturdays. Classy. Oh, nice. Or between. That she cooked. Oh, sure. Oh, wow. Oh, absolutely. Huh. 
And she'd always, we'd go to Sardi's and she'd always have chicken a la keg. <laughs> she'd have two forkfuls. She drank champagne all day and around six o'clock she'd switch to scotch. She was totally bombed every time she did the show. Wow. And one night she went like this and Bert Backrock went like this to catch her and she was so drunk she pulled herself back. She's gonna fall and then, my God, wow. Jesus. Wild. But a nice, a nice woman, it seems. She was lovely. Yeah, to work with. yeah, classy. You know the story about the paint? No. Well, she called me on it. The, the porter at the Lundfontaine called me at 8 in the morning and said, Miss Dietrich is here, and she would like to see you. So I got dressed, and I went down, and she said, I, I need the dressing room painted. I said, well, we're going to do that on Monday. She said, no, you can't do it Monday because I open Monday night. I said, well, I don't know if I can find somebody to paint it today. She said, just get me the paint. So she go, gets on a fucking ladder, and she first wipes it clean with a disinfectant, and then she painted it. Herself. <laughs> I like her. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, she, was, she was wonderful. Yeah. She really was. Did you ever get starstruck? Because you, you, you were meeting all these big people and working with all these big people. Did you ever get starstruck? Or was the, the only one that I was starstruck with was Mike Nichols. Oh, yeah. And uh, I happened to be at the theater one night when he came. And he's, at intermission, he grabbed me. I don't know what I was even doing there at intermission. I said, what's up? He said... Can you introduce me to Nathan Lane at the end of the show? I said, sure. And that's when Nathan got that fabulous movie. Oh, The Birdcage. Oh, Birdcage. Yeah. oh right, because he directed that. Of yeah. course. That's right. Yeah. Oh, so that's, that is very, very good. Well, what made Mike Nichols so special to work with? I mean, we all see his work as he a director. He had an incredible sense of humor. A lot of the rehearsal were telling jokes mm. and eating donuts and shit like that. But then he would get down to it, and uh, he knew he knew he he could he could make the actor give him what he wanted by making them figure out what he wanted. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know his shows were they were fabulous. Because you did a few things with him. You did Social Security with him, and you did Death and the Maiden with him as well. Yeah, Death and the Maiden, which. Oh, he, he, he kept saying, uh, the scrim isn't right. I said, well, it's, it's going to be like that, you know. He said, no, I want a new one. I get a new one, and it wrinkled at the same place. And, uh, and he was married to... The, oh, uh, uh, Diane Sawyer. Diane Sawyer. Oh, right. And I said, uh, somebody said, tell him to go fuck himself or something. And she said, no, that's my job. <laughs> <laughs> a good sense of humor in yeah. this family. And, and the stage manager would go, and then that's my job. And she, she'd write down everything that Mike said. <laughs> I mean, it's not serious, but she'd no, write it down. <laughs> and she'd re-read it to him. Wow. Now he said so and so. And you not only got to work with Mike Nichols, you also got to work with Neil Simon a few times. I loved him. Yeah? Because most of what his early 90s shows you were involved in, right? Lost in Yonkers, Goodbye Girl, uh -huh. Laughter on the 23rd Floor, which oh. is a play I love. Yeah. I love I that. I too. Yeah, I think it's so funny. That mm -hmm. was John uh, Slattery's first Broadway show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That cast was pretty. It was Nathan oh Lane, John Slattery, Marklin oh, Baker. And the guy that... Uh, he used to play Jewish guys all the time. Uh, oh, Lou, Lou, Stat, Lou Stadlin? We had Lewis on yeah, the show. Yeah, we had I like Lewis. What a character. He, he was a wonderful director. He did a better job. When we went on the road with it, Jerry's, uh, Jerry couldn't come, so I got Stadlin to do it. Oh. And actually, oh. the show was better than the one that, that we did in New York. Oh, that's so interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know Lewis was a director. Yeah, we that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, but still, I didn't know that he did that. He's a great guy. Yeah. Really, really, really good guy. So you said it was good working with Neil Simon. You guys had a great relationship. He, he made me sit with him with every last dress rehearsal. And he'd say, is that going to be okay? Meaning, is there anything that would, be, that would offend gay people? Mm. That's 
talk about sensitive. That's yeah. really fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Was there ever anything that you listened to and you said, actually, yeah, that is... No, well, no. The one he was most worried about was when Marty Short did, uh, did a Shakespearean thing but played it gay. Mm. Oh, right, for the Goodbye Girl. Of course, yeah. yeah. And, and he would say to me, he'd sit there and he'd say, you sure this isn't going to offend anybody? I said... It's not going to offend. It's hysterically funny. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and I ran into Marty. You know, uh, I got a, a, a message that Marty was coming to to do a show in Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. So I, we, my nephew, I got tickets for my nephew, and the three of us went. We were in the last row, and there were also seats on the sides going mm-hmm. up. It was... And I didn't. I hadn't called him, and it was hysterically funny. And he had that other guy, who was with Mike, with. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Steve Tr- Martin. Steve Martin. Yeah. Oh, I watched they, that 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 concert. It's hysterical. They were, they, it is. Hysterical. It's so funny. They dig on each other half the time, and then they kind of poke fun at each other, and then at themselves. Yeah. It's really funny good. guys. It's a really good. Really. good so film. I I said to the guy, he, this guy said, "Where are you going?" I said. Well, I want to go say hello to Marty Short. He said, do you have an appointment? I said, no. And he made it very difficult for me to to go back. Finally, after everybody else had gone, he went, okay. So my nephews and I went, and he saw me, and he ran, and he jumped and grabbed me. He said, oh, my God. And my nephews almost fainted. That's so cool. Yeah. He's a sweetheart. Yeah, yeah. He he once came to... uh, uh, Bar Centrale. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, of course. And he, I was sitting at the t- at a table, and he walked right by me. And then he stopped when he got to the bar. And he turned around, and he ran back and said, "Leonard." <laughs> he said, "I, I didn't realize you." No, he wasn't one of those guys that. Didn't, yeah. I I liked him a yeah. lot. Yeah. Uh, he would he would. The, uh, any problems in the in the show, he would stand there. Bernadette would go to dressing room. She'd say, "When you finish all this shit," <laughs> <laughs> and then she'd go to dressing room. She didn't want to do the show in the first place, and uh, the author, I mean, everybody connected with him wanted her to do it. And I said, "You shouldn't f- force anybody mm. to do yeah. anything," because she missed so many. When we came to New York. She was sick after the performances of the understudy. Mm. Sick, you know. Yeah. She created this thing. Oh. She could be difficult. Ooh. I mean, she loves doing concerts. She, uh, I don't know what she gets now, but in those days, she got a hundred thousand dollars a night. Oh my God! Well, yeah, she yeah. had to pay the band. Right. And the transportation and all that other shit. But still, it's like easier than eight shows that a week. Was a lot of money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you know the Whoopi Goldberg story? No. Mm-mm. Which one? When I presented her on Broadway, when the show closed, she had missed. Uh, she was very sick for one of the big weekends, mm-hmm. and she couldn't come to the theater. So when the show closed, she said, "Did you break even?" I said, "No, not quite." She said, "Well." How much do you think you lost? I said about a hundred thousand. She went to an, the other town, not Fort Lauderdale, but another one, uh-huh. and she did a one-night stand, and she gave me a check for a hundred thousand dollars. What? Oh my God! I hear she's awesome. Classic. I hear she's a good person. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. She's black. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Special. Yeah, she's a special one. Was there ever a show you were working on where you were like, oh, this is going to be a huge success? And then it got. Yeah, how to succeed in business. I went, although I was the house manager, I had nothing to yeah. do with the show. Uh, I went to Philly to see it, and I came back and said, it's a shoe in. It, it's the only time I've said that. But I said, because Fiddler, they had a lot of, tra- lot of, oh, lot yeah. of problems on mm-hmm. the road. They couldn't adjust to the scenery. And, mm-hmm. And Ruth and, and Hal were running around like two idiots. And uh, <laughs> we 
wish they were. It's funny because <laughs> I love hearing someone actually say that because I feel like it, no one ever will say that out loud. <laughs> but it, it, they were still figuring out what they were doing. You know, they were new you know, to I it. Did, I did a show, uh, a straight show that Hal directed, and and he was in the basement with Florence, Florence Claus. Yes, the designer working on a little night music, and then he comes to me and says. Uh, I think we should have a show curtain. I said, it's a fucking straight show. What do you want a show curtain? He said, well, I think it would help people to know where they are when the show... I said, that's, that's bullshit. I'm not spending $10,000 for a, a show curtain. So the author's wife comes to me and says, get the curtain, I'll pay for it. I said, over my dead body, you're not paying for it. We're not doing it to get one. He was in the fucking basement with Florence Olsen. You got to do uh, Moon for the Misbegotten with Colleen Dewhurst and Jason Robards. This is like a seminal production. So was it as incredible as everybody says it was? It was. Yeah. It was only supposed to run for six weeks. Uh-huh. And we kept extending it and extending it. And we went to California. And, you know, that there was such a huge theater there in California, in Los Angeles, right. that uh, unless you were in the first six rows, everybody looked this small. Mm-hmm. But And some friends of mine had called me and said, uh, could, could we give an opening night party to the cast? Of, I said, well, I'll ask Colleen and uh, Jason. And they said, yeah, if it's not a, lot, a big deal, mm. sure, we'll go. So we get there, and there were people parking cars. There were a lot of movie stars there. Oh, boy. And uh, I was out on the deck having a drink, and I said, oh, that's a a wonderful swimming pool. And the guy said, they just finished it at 4 o'clock today. Oh, shit. He said they figured that with all these big movie stars coming, that they should have a a pool. (laughs) Only in L.A. Only in L.A. Okay, would yeah, that be yeah, that's a... the protocol? Uh, Lauren Bacall, her last stage appearance, Waiting in yes. the Wings, that was you, right? Yes. How was that? Well, um, the way it was was that we were in Boston, and she summoned me to her dressing room, and she said, I heard we got a wonderful notice, and, and I said, yes, we did. She said, well, why didn't you show it to me? I said, well, it's no good for you. She said, what did they, what did they miss? That I missed a line or two? I had a girl sitting in the front row throwing her every fucking line. Oh, my goodness. She, she always went to the beauty parlor to get her hair done. Of course. She never learned the show until we got to New York. <gasps> wow. But I, then she came and said she wanted a $5,000 bracelet that she found. I said, look, you're in a home for the for people who can't afford to live else. Yes. I said, uh, I'm not spending $5,000 on a piece of jewelry. I'll tell you, if it shows a hit, I'll get right. it for you in New York. So she forgot about it, and we ended up giving her a dog. <laughs> At least she had a companion then. <laughs> I probably put peanut butter in her. <laughs> That poor no, dog. I liked, listen, <laughs> poor dog. I liked her, but she was tough. She, her dresser, she made him stand outside the entry, the, the stage door. And he'd stand there with no umbrella or anything, in pouring rain. I'd say, what the fuck are you doing yeah. here? He said, she wants me to be at the door when she arrives. Oh I said, well, goodness. tell her to go fuck herself. Yeah. What are you talking about? No, but he stood there. He said, no, I don't want to get fired. Jesus. My goodness! And he waited for her. That's she treated a, everybody like shit. That's unless a diva. Unless you gave it to her. Yeah. Unless she. Uh, you gave it back to her. She was. When which you gave it back to her. I mean, like. I you, told her to go fuck herself. Yeah. <laughs> we were in the car. Yeah. She said, uh, "What's his name? He was the co-producer that was the one that actually put the thing together." Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, "Where is he? he had his." Head up my fucking ass when he wanted me to do the fucking show. Mm-hmm. And now where is he? I said, oh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. 
She liked she liked strong people. She didn't like weak people. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What did you do? You prefer or did you prefer? I should say producing more than general management, or you like general management? I love producing. Listen, most shows that I general managed, I I was the producer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, Lester Osterman would go to Paris or London and come back to New Haven when we were trying out the show. And he'd say to me, I can see those drapes over there. I said, okay. So I went backstage and I said, from now on, whatever you do, put the masking up first. <laughs> so that he thinks... <laughs> so he's like, <laughs> he's like, shuts up about it. <laughs> and that's what he did. Is there ever a project that you wanted to do really badly, but you couldn't get enough money to get it off the ground? Well, we're going through that now with fellow travelers, but it's mostly because we can't find anybody to play Kazan. So, so tell our listeners, please, what is Fellow Travelers? What's it about? It's about Kazan and Arthur Miller and Marilyn Monroe, and it's uh, basically a three-character play, and uh, it's the time that it's a... Uh, it, 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 Marilyn becomes enchanted with Arthur and vice versa. Mm. That eventually, I mean, this is a Jewish guy, and he leaves his wife and children for a, a woman who's fucked everybody in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they did, and it didn't last very long. And uh, but I liked her; she was she was okay. Yeah. At the end of the first act, it's when uh, Kazan was already told to come to be interviewed by the committee. And he had gone and didn't name any names. Mm. And the end of the first act is when he says to Arthur that he's going to go and give them the names because otherwise he can't work in Hollywood. And even Arthur said it would be a crime if you could not work in Hollywood. Mm. And the goal is to get this on Broadway or off Broadway? Well, at the moment, well, we still can't cast Kazan. But we have Arthur Miller. You have someone for Arthur Miller. So uh, we're gonna try. We're looking for, uh, you know, one of the off-Broadway people, like Atlantic Atlantic Theater. Yes. Okay, so Atlantic like or Second Stage or something. Do right. it there. We have a good Arthur Miller, uh, and there are a lot of guys that could play Kazan, but they aren't stars. You know, Hollywood shows today. You you gotta have a fucking star. Yeah. Yeah, you need a name in there. Which you know, is... you spent so much time in, in New York theater. Did you ever want to go to Hollywood or, or work in that realm or on TV or uh, film? I, I was very close to Paul Newman's wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, she dragged me to a... They were shooting a scene next to Elaine's mm-hmm. restaurant. Oh, yes, the famous And all haunt. she would do is... <clears throat> the, a cab would pull up and she'd get in and they would drive off. And they kept repeating it. It was fucking freezing. I had a drink in one hand, and she kept stopping chewing gum. And about the 10th time, the car pulled up, and she got in. She took the gum and spit it out. And uh, I said, I, I can't do this. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It just goes on and on. Everything takes five seconds <laughs> to do, and you do it 10 times before you're satisfied. Right, right. I, I could never do that. Huh. I don't know how Mike did. Yeah. 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 Okay, he was a genius. Yeah. You know, another playwright that you worked with a lot was Edward Albee. Oh, I loved Edward. Yeah? A good working relationship? A good. I had a great relationship with him. The problem was that one of the reasons I'm, I came back from East Hampton was when Edward died. Mm. I was the last one. And I just... Mm. So anyway... Um, I was doing a show with Jimmy Niederlander that was in previews in New York, and uh, the pr- the press agent, who was the lady press, Shirley Hers. Oh yeah. Called me and said, "There's a new Edward Albee play downtown. You, sh- you have to go see it." I can't go see it. We're in previews with mm-hmm. this fucking thing that we moved from Chicago. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, What's her name? The lady who has a lot, a lot of money. Carol Shorenstein Hayes. Carol. Uh, Daryl Roth. Daryl Roth. Daryl, of course. Yes, that, uh, I mean, hello. Yeah. 
So Shirley gave it, called Daryl down, and yeah. Daryl said, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. So I was out, and the show we were moving from was a disaster. But up until then, I did all of his shows. And we, and we had a very good relationship. He, he came to me. We had a production of uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yeah. Mm -hmm. A revival opening in New Haven. And he came to me and he said, I, w I want to fire the girl playing the Anjou. I said, she's a friend of mine, but besides that, she's wonderful in the play. Mm. He said, I don't like her. I want to fire her. I said, Edward, just take the fucking wig off her head and you'll get the performance you want. So I didn't say anything to the girl and she went on without the wig and he came and said, yeah, you're right, she's fine. <laughs> no, I liked him. We, we, I mean, socially we had, you know, he, he would invite me to dinner and mm -hmm. vice versa, but the people I would, were around outside of, yeah. he didn't want to see and he never, he would invite them to dinner and, and one of them said to me once, why doesn't he ever might invite me to his house for dinner? I said, because he doesn't want to. And if you don't want to, if, if that's not okay with you, then you shouldn't invite yeah. him to your house. Yeah. That makes sense. It's nice and polite. Yeah. But he was wonderful. He was great. You liked them, yeah. With. And uh, he directed a version of how to shoot, of uh, Virginia Woolf. Who's afraid yeah. of Virginia yeah. Woolf? And he did a good job. Yeah. Right? That was Colleen Dewhurst? Colleen. Oh, and, I wish I could have yeah. seen that. My goodness. Colleen and the Italian guy who was smoking it with. Uh, ben Gazzara. Oh, yes. Shelley Winters. Yes. And lived to tell the tale, which is, <laughs> which is a rarity. She's a personality. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Shelley. She, she was doing some one-act plays at the court theater, and at 8.10, she still wasn't there. Uh -huh. So I put the understudy on. Five minutes later, I hear, stop the show, stop no the show. I said, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Go to your dressing room. She said, stop the show. I said, we're not stopping the show. You can play the second act after intermission. And I pushed her into the dressing room and locked the door. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, I mean, it's like what I expect, you've, but you've still. Had, I, you've had some interesting experiences, to say the least. <laughs> you've got Shelley Winters, you've got just, Lauren Bacall. Bye. See did you have an orgasm? I did. Multiple, multiple. Multiple. <laughs> see ya. I don't know what he was here for. I don't know. Make sure Why you're safe. What was he here for? <laughs> Making sure we're doing our job, exactly. doing it correctly. Talking about this great now documentary. Now we can really talk shit. Yeah, now, now that he's gone, we can talk shit about him. Um, so, so the documentary is having a release this week as we're as we're filming. It's going to be in theaters this week, right? Yeah, but it had it had been shown. Oh, and it's won tons of awards already. It's been nominated for stuff. This is really incredible. So, were you surprised by how well the documentary turned out? Because you thought this wasn't going to happen. Last night, I didn't mind it. But the first time I saw it, I was, I, I just wanted to run out of the theater. Why? Because you weren't used to seeing yourself on, on screen and you were in your natural habitat and you're like, my voice sounds like that? I mean, was it? <laughs> the, I, 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 I really wasn't crazy about my assistant and they built up her. And then finally I said, you know, what the fuck does it matter? I'm glad that you came to that conclusion because for... For, for theater people like us and you, it's, I think it's a great snapshot into what you, you do for a living and what you've done for a living and, all, and your legacy and, 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 and the impact you've had on this business over the years. Um, and I, it's, I think it's a really well done documentary and you come out looking amazing. It's just authentic. You're, you're, you're you. You don't, you don't feel like you're putting on like a facade no. for the cameras. It's no, like, never, no. Well, especially the argument I had with the director. Holy shit. I thought that was fake. I thought you like, they tried to make it dramatic moment or yeah, something, was good. but you really were like the, but the fog, remember it was yes. the fog yeah. and you're like, I don't want the fucking fog. Like cut it. And then he's like, well then I quit. And then you were like, all right, I'll take a look at it one more time. I'll look at it. That was wild. I'll calm you down. 
You don't have, I mean, being a producer and a general manager, I'm saying you got to juggle so many egos. You got to play therapist, den mother. When I was producing, nine times out of ten, I would make the final decisions anyway. Most of the time, the, the company manager would just just do the contracts and pay the, right. pay, pay the cast and was there every night. But uh, when we were in rehearsal, well, as, as Michael Wilson said, I am there all the time. Right. Through every tech and everything. Are you, are you, you're there for support? You're there to keep an eye on everything? You're I'm there to, it says to them, I'm here, I'm watching every fucking thing you do. <laughs> so you better do it right. Got it. What happens when you're working with someone who has a, like a big legacy and ego like Jerry Robbins? You know, how do you push back when he wants to spend maybe a little too much money on rehearsals? Or an 18-week or... rehearsal process. I... I he once said to me, uh, I want all the men to get facial hair. I said, for what? He said, for Fiddler on the Roof. I said, you haven't casted yet. Why should I get hair for everybody? He said, well, I want you. I said, I'm not getting it. So he called Phil Smith and said, uh, uh, he always tried to fire me every other week. Wow. So, so Bernie Jacobs said, well, let's meet in the back of the theater at intermission. So intermission, no, at the end of the show. Mm -hmm. So Jerry's there and uh, Bernie and I, and Bernie says, so what's, what's going on? And I said, well, he wants me to get hair for all the guys in the show, and he do, he's not sure who's going to do the Fiddler thing anyway. Mm -hmm. And I could see when I said that that he, you know, Jerry was... He knew something was. Yeah. So Bernie turned to him and said, is that what you want? And Jerry said, yes. And Bernie said, okay. He turned to me and said, give it to him. And uh, he went back to the office and he called me. He said, did I, did I say what you wanted me to say? I said, Bernie, don't worry about it. It's okay. Yeah. I did not get the hair. And he never asked for it again. <laughs> Now, this Jerome Robbins thing, how many weeks did this thing rehearse? Six, six weeks and then six months off. You know, we had to bring in people. Their people didn't notate anything yeah. in those days. Right. We brought in people from Italy and France. And, oh, know, to, like, remember to the choreography. Like Nancy Walker. Oh, the great people, Nancy Walker. Yeah. People all would come in, and, and it's, it's like it's in the show where... If, and, and the thing where they were doing this, the Atlantic City thing. Oh, from High Button Shoes, yeah. yes. Once somebody did it, then somebody else wow. would do remember the next thing, and that's what happened. Wow. It's, oh, it's just, like a puzzle. That's mm -hmm. so cool. That's right. Yeah. And you know you could get killed if you, if you didn't open the door at the right place. It's, it's uh, pretty breakneck. It's, yeah, it's on YouTube. So if our listeners want to take a look at it, they can. It's terrifying. You're absolutely right. If the door's open like two beats early, you're going to get smacked in the face. That's, that ain't, that's not good. Who were some of your biggest uh, role models when you were starting out in the business? Nobody. You were creating your own path, carving out your own niche. I didn't like uh, oh, the famous George Kaufman. Yeah. I didn't like him because... Uh, one, the famous line, one of the actors said, what's my motiv motivation here? And he's sitting up on the balcony and he said, your salary! Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. Or George Abbott, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, Louine McGraw was his love affair at the time and she was in the, the lead of the play, which is why he did it. And, uh, you know, he was rough with the, he wasn't a good director, actually. Yeah. But that's what started me. That's where they came and said, do you want to be assistant stage manager? Huh. So cool. Wow. Now, before we were, went on the air, you were saying that there's some stuff that was in the documentary originally that you asked to have removed. Well, can you tell us? All, uh, there was all this shit about taking tapping through life you know, over and over and over again. I said, this show cannot be about... Yeah. You know, it's the same fucking thing. Yeah. I have other shows that were worse than this. Yeah. Why don't you pick one of them instead of this? 
Well, he knew nothing about the theater. And to get the 20,000 I needed for Wilmington, I had to say to him, you can be associate producer. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. So he now has every article about the show says, Jeff Walk, you know. Of course, yeah. You do, you do what you have to do to, right. to get the show on. my last night with him, yeah. and then I'm through. And then you're yeah. done. But, I mean, this documentary is really special. He didn't do it. Margaret, yeah. this woman, did the it. The woman who wrote yeah. it, yeah. 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 She yeah. did a good he job. Took, he took credit. I said, you can't ignore her that she, just because you didn't like her. Yeah. You can't ignore that she did this. Yeah. So I did see he put the credit up. Good. 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 That's really, really good. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great film. So have a lot of your friends seen it yet? Or is the next couple of nights for all your friends and colleagues to go see it for the first time? I never invited anybody. <laughs> Debbie uh, Gravitt, she's a... Oh, she, I, I met her. I knew her when she was 17. No kidding. years old in Los Angeles. And, and we were doing a show called Perfectly Frank. Yes. Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 Frank Lester's wife was in it. Yeah. And she stood on the stage one day and said, oh, Frank, where are you? <laughs> anyway, uh, so Debbie came and auditioned, and um, we hired her. Yeah, yeah, we she's, like her. She was. Uh, we had her as a guest, and she yeah, had a, she's a special, a good one. time. So once again, folks, the documentary is called Leonard, Leonard Soloway's Broadway. Broadway. It's going to be on iTunes. It's going to be on Amazon. It's going to be on demand. Um, we were lucky enough; we got to watch a sneak peek of it, and we really mean it. It's one of the best theater Truly. documentaries we've ever seen, and it celebrates somebody who's done so much for this business and is such a beloved person in the industry. And it's really cool, I think, to see a different aspect of how a show gets to Broadway and how mm -hmm. a show gets created. Period. So, first of all, Leonard, thank you so much for willing to agree to be in the documentary because it's really fantastic. And thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. You really are. It has been an absolute joy. So, so thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Till next time. Bye, everybody. Today's episode was recorded at Shetler Studios on 244 West 54th Street. Visit Shetler Studios to book your room today and you could be as cool as us. That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And friends, don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you guys can come in and help us out. Yes, in order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. The more ratings, the more they'll come up in searches. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us one star and make us feel as bad as Annie did in that weird production in Boston where Annie dreamed about being adopted and then ended the show back in the orphanage. True story, Rob was there. <laughs> I saw it. So <laughs> head on over to iTunes and make us feel even more special than we already do. <laughs> wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E 
www.thepurpose.org because only together we rise.